aren't we thankful even today when people make the decision to believe in and trust in Jesus and we see a new generation of believers come up? We live for it. We love it. All of you, every one of you, love it when a baby's born. I know. You show me the pictures. And to date, every baby looks like a baby. But it's so exciting. I had one of our deacons walk up to me a couple weeks ago, and he said, I want to show you a video of my great-grandchild. And I'm thinking, the baby's only like three weeks old. How do you take a video of something that doesn't move? I mean, but he was extremely proud. If you want to see the video, he's sitting right back over here. He'll be glad to show you the video after the service. We love it when there's new birth. And it's no different in the church we are excited when people make the decision to believe in Jesus. We are excited when we get to celebrate baptism and we see somebody make that decision in a public fashion, following the example of Jesus and following the teachings of Jesus. And so it makes sense that John, as he writes this dear elect lady and her children, that he is very tender, he's very loving, he's very protective. Because now as you move to the third generation of the church, there is the possibility of losing touch with truth, losing touch with the things that changed their lives. And he wants to see the faith continue in a pure fashion. And so then in verse three of second John, he says, not only in the beginning of it to this dear elect lady and her children, but the conclusion of the introduction is in love and truth. In these first few verses, John gives us what I believe are five elements that allow us to sustain relationships because he's thinking multi-generationally. He's rejoicing in what the church has been in its founding, but he's rejoicing in what the church is developing as it grows and it matures. And he's old enough and he's been through enough that he's anticipating joining the other apostles in heaven and seeing his Lord and Savior in person. And so he's thinking about what happens after he's gone. The beautiful nature of an intergenerational church is that we always have those who are leading, we always have those who are following, and there is a sustainability. There is a sustainability in the church, and John's advice gives us sustainability in our own relationships. So that we grow not just in this moment, but we grow in the legacy and the heritage of that moment. And all are celebrated. John's excited about the totality of the church and its mission into the world and the carrying of truth and the distinguishing of truth in a world filled with falsities, filled with error. John knows that the one truth that makes the difference and changes life is the truth about Jesus. And so in a very real sense, John will in both second and in Third John, these two little tiny letters, if you haven't found it yet, um, it's towards the end of your New Testament. There's just literally probably only one page long in your Bibles. And so you might have to search a little bit to be able to find it. In these little letters, he wants what God has done to continue. That's what all of us want. Because it is that sense of divine and eternal immortality that comes with legacy. So let's look at these five elements 
that allow our relationships to be sustainable. It happens in, very, in the very first verse, in verse 1, as he says to this elect lady and her children, whom I love. And I know the, the rest of the phrase is there. We're going to get to that one. But focus on just that word for a second. One of the elements of a sustainable relationship is the ability to love. But this isn't love as most of us have experienced. This is love in a sustainable fashion. So this love is deeply rooted in John's mind as the unconditional love of God demonstrated in Christ. Let me say that again for our note takers. It is the unconditional love of God demonstrated in Christ or in Jesus. It is the love of God that is beyond comprehension, but experienced intimately and closely in our relationships. There's nothing wrong. John doesn't mind sentimentality. John isn't opposed to romance. But John understands that there is a type of love that is deeper than what humans can do on their own, what we're capable of on our own. This is a love that God infuses into a life and into a heart. It's his love. It's similar to Paul's instructions in Ephesians chapter 5 when he tells us as husbands, and I say this to brides a lot of times because it's one of the passages that has guided me in my life and in my relationship. Paul tells us we don't simply just love. We're not simply enamored with our wives. He tells us as Christian believers, we are to love our wives in the fashion that Christ has loved the church, which comes down to one simple basic element. And it's not just the provision of bread and fishes. It's not just bringing home food. That's an important part. And God is a providing God. But God is first and foremost a sacrificial God. Jesus' love gives up everything for the object of his love. And that's what Paul is telling us to do. When Paul says, husbands, we love our wives the same way that Christ loved the church, he's telling us, guys, we are in any and every situation supposed to love our, our wives with the unconditional, complete giving, sacrificial nature of God's love. And it makes sense. I mean, it, all of what Paul says in Ephesians 5 makes sense. When you love that deeply and that in depth, when you love in that fashion, then it is a natural response to have the other elements of respect and growing relationship and maturity in that relationship. Love the way Jesus loves. And it's hard, depending on your personality and depending on your background, it can be hard sometimes to think this through because many of us are by nature emotional, sentimental people. I love being with people. I mean, I, I've, from, the, from the, the, the day I was born, I, I think, I mean, they could have taken a video of me and I would have been shaking the hand of the kid in the, in the nursery next to me. My dad didn't have video capabilities. My grandfather definitely didn't have video capabilities. That's a new thing. I've always loved being with people, but I'm going to be honest with you. Let me be very candid for a second. I never had a sustaining relationship until after I met Jesus. Male or female, academic in class, work, colleagues, nothing ever lasted. Something about, and I don't know, it's the wiring, maybe partially the environment. I, I don't know to this day actually why that was the case. But I could greet people, but I couldn't love people. 
I could welcome people, but I couldn't engage in depth. And I definitely couldn't sustain. But when I met Jesus, one of the most significant changes in my life was the ability to love like Jesus and to sustain that love like Jesus. And so now I I can go around this room and I can point to relationships in this room as well as obviously my wife. But friendships, co-workers that have transcended time. In some cases, three, five years. Other cases, 10, 12 years. Staff members that I knew before they were staff members that have been friends from the very beginning and in early in ministry, 20 years. 30 years, friendships that have been 25 years long, a marriage that has been 36 years this past January. I mean, all of that is because Jesus loved me and began to change me to be able to love one another. And the people around you are these sustainable relationships. And that's what God wants us, to have this kind of in-depth relationship that lasts. It's so much more than just feeling good. It's great to feel good. I mean, I feel good this morning. I was looking forward to coming to church. I had the advantage of knowing what the music was in advance and looking forward to singing a couple of my favorite songs. I was looking forward to seeing you and being with you. I was looking forward. I'm just going to pause for a second and recognize a group in our church. I was looking forward because this is the first official Sunday. Senior Adult 1 and Senior Adult 2 are back on campus. Man, we missed you guys this past year. I'm so thankful for technology that allowed us to be in class together and allowed us to be in service together. But I'm telling you what, not a single hug on Zoom felt as good as your hugs this morning. So we are glad you guys are back. And we continue to try to be careful. We continue to try to do the things that are appropriate. And we continue to try to do what? What is the very first element? If if love has ever been tested, this past year has tested it. We respect and we value everyone because everyone in this room, everyone on live stream right at this moment, everybody watching are valued by God. There is no excuse for a Christian to not love another person because God loves them and we're his child and they are at a minimum his creation. And if they've trusted him, they're his child, our siblings. Love is so important to sustaining relationships, but also truth. Still in verse one, he tells us that I love them and I love them in the truth. And look at verse two. Not only do I love them in the truth and not only is it just me, he says, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Truth allows our love to become sustainable. It becomes another key element to this process. Truth is simply this in John's mind. We've seen this in 1 John, but he brings it back up again in 2 John. Truth is embodied in Jesus Christ. Who he is and what he has done. Eternal, abiding, and unchanging because its source is the one true God. Now, I'm not going to derail onto this. But I, am, I will confess, I am part of a growing group of people who is fed up with the idea and the concept that truth can be de- defined depending upon your preference. Truth doesn't change because you like it or you don't like it. 
And you don't want a God who changes at the whim of somebody's preferences. You don't want that to take place. You want a God who is stable, who is secure, who is majestic and powerful beyond comprehension. You don't want a God who's constantly shifting colors and shifting directions and shifting thought processes. You want and you need something stable in your life. And I think that's why, I think that's why John balances it. I love you, dear church, he says. I love you and I love you in truth. And truth is fundamentally defined by the person of Jesus Christ. Truth for John is what we often in church call the gospel. It is that relationship that God has with us that allows us to experience forgiveness and allows us to anticipate eternity, living in heaven. We love and we live in truth. And these elements make our relationships sustainable. How we practice that truth, how we understand that truth. My example in marriage, for instance, out of Ephesians chapter five, it would be impossible for me to love my wife as Christ loves the church unless the abiding truth of who Jesus is lives inside of me. I couldn't do that as an unbeliever. It is physically, literally, in every way imaginable or definable, impossible to love somebody as Christ loves them if you don't know Jesus. You just simply can't do it. And so truth becomes essential to sustainability because we're building on a bedrock here. We're not building on shifting sand. We're not building on inadequate foundation. We're building on the bedrock of God's eternal, unchanging, absolute truth. Whether we like it sometimes or not is not a question. It's this, this is where we're going to stand. And of course, we do it by doing exactly what we're doing this morning, teaching, understanding, studying, and absorbing God's word into our lives. John says this sustainable relationship, this is possible with two really key fundamentals, but he adds three more to it. Love, truth, and then grace. In verse 3, he says, grace, leave out the other phrases for just a second, will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. Grace. So if love is the unconditional love of God demonstrated in Christ, if truth is embodied in Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done, it's eternal, it's abiding, it's unchanging because it sources in the one true God, then grace has to be characterized by God's character and it is God's unmerited and undeserved kindness, which he freely bestows on persons who are unworthy of such attention. Let me say that again. God's unmerited, undeserved kindness, which he freely bestows, freely gives to people who are unworthy of such attention. Grace. Grace gives us the ability to care for to love, to sustain relationships with people whether they deserve it or not. This is key to sustaining relationships in this century. It was obviously key to John in the first century, but this is key in the 21st century because much of our life is built upon our preferences, our desires, our wants. 
We have built a society and a culture, and it's not necessarily bad, where we constantly are asking, what do, what does they, what do they want? And then we provide it for them. How do they want something? How do they receive something? And then we provide it for them. And we do it across the board. We do it in our schools, in our businesses, especially retail businesses. And there's nothing wrong with that. Unless you inverse that process and say, I, I need you to deserve this before I provide it for you. And it becomes about only what we want in, a, in an inappropriate and in an unbalanced fashion that no longer cares what anyone else wants. I mean, I, I struggle with this. And I, I'm hoping I'm not the only one. I struggle with this every single time I go somewhere. Let me give you a simple example. I have my favorite fast food place. I don't typically endorse businesses, so I'm not going to endorse it. You can ask me afterwards or send us an email, and I'll be glad to tell you. When I go to my favorite fast food place, I am looking forward to my meal. I am hungry. I am desiring. I am craving. I am ready. But oftentimes, I am thwarted in the effort because everybody else wants it. The problem with having your favorite fast food place the same as everybody else's favorite fast food place, which is closed today, just in case you're curious, <laughs> is you have to wait in line. And I don't know, I'll sit in line waiting to get it, and I'll, and I'll be there, and I'm thinking, you know, I've got this meeting. I've, I've got this appointment. I've got this funeral. I've got this phone call. I've got all these things. Surely I am more important than everybody else in this line. I mean, I want to do a Moses drive through, park the cars, let me get mine and go on down the line. I don't completely understand how it works, but God is somehow capable of saying, you know what? Everybody is so hungry. Let me move out of line and let them go first. We know it because we've seen Jesus do it. Master, the teacher, the master, they said, all the, all the students said, look, you've got to let these people go. They're, they're hungry. They need to go. Dismiss them. And Jesus said, no, no. You provide for them. Teacher, you understand you, don't, you clearly did not get your degree in operations management. We got five, reds of, five loaves of bread, and we got three fish, and we got several thousand people. This isn't going to work. You need to dismiss them. And Jesus says, no, you work through me, and let me do something special here and meet their needs first. The truth is, when I think about God and I think about his love, I don't find anything I've ever done to deserve any point of anything he's ever done for me. That's grace. Unmerited, undeserved kindness, which he freely bestows to persons who are unworthy of such attention. Put everyone else first. It doesn't make you less of a person, but it makes you more like Jesus. Put everybody else first. Very similar is mercy. And again, in verse three, mercy, grace and mercy will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. Mercy, though, is God's compassion and pity. It's his tenderness and readiness to forgive sin. It's God's broken heart. And again, most of us really struggle with this. And this is sometimes why we don't sustain relationships. It's because we become more concerned about our hurt than the hurt somebody else 
may be experiencing. And again, there is a selfishness that moves in that says, I pity myself. I'm the victim. And I never stop to think about what harm or what injury might have happened to that person. I had a pastor friend of mine several decades ago now. He told me one day, he said, James, you know, hurting people hurt people. And I have watched over the years as a pastor, and when somebody injures me, when somebody insults me, when somebody goes off on me and they're angry or they're mad at me, and I, if, I, if, if I can control myself long enough to back off of that just a little bit and watch and see, then I actually recognize there's hurt in their lives. They're injured. And yes, our human normal tendency is to injure when we're injured. But we're not talking about normal here. We're talking about sustaining relationships. And the basis of that, that, that ability to sustain is our eternal relationship with Jesus. So we're not talking about normal. We're not talking about what it means to be human. We're talking about what it means to be a believer in Jesus. And a believer in Jesus taps an eternal source of mercy that has the ability to have compassion. Let God break our hearts so that we care the way he cares. Love, truth, grace, mercy. And the last one is simple, but actually relatively deep. Peace. He's not just concluding this salutation, this introduction to his letter. He's saying, I want them to have peace. And this peace is also going to come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. This peace is more than just simply the cessation of argument. This peace deeply transforms us. It emphasizes our wholeness. This peace emphasizes our well-being in life and all of its aspects. It conveys safety, rest, and absence of hostility. Being a person of peace is finding that inward contentment that Paul talked about, where I have learned to be content in any and every situation. And that contentment is based on the fact that I have put my trust in Jesus. We've now built these relationships on such solid ground that no matter what turmoil comes into that relationship, we have the ability to sustain and to carry through on that relationship because at the same time we're loving and at the same time we're applying truth and at the same time we're demonstrating grace and at the same time we're feeling mercy in the midst of all of that, God uses that scenario to give us a peace that again is Paul's description beyond comprehension. It's not just the signing of a truce. It's not just the diplomatic conversation that brings a cessation in warfare. It is a peace that recognizes when Jesus is leading us, when Jesus is at the center of my home, when Jesus is at the center of my workplace, when Jesus is at the center of everything I do at school, when Jesus is at the center of everything I do recreationally, when Jesus is a part of everything, Jesus steps into the picture and brings peace. And that doesn't mean the world is without turmoil. It doesn't mean that we won't deal with e economics and finances this week. It doesn't mean we won't deal with conflict and relationship this week. It doesn't mean that we won't deal with, with the disturbing news or upsetting or traumatic sets of circumstances. It doesn't mean any of those things won't happen, but it does mean we are in the presence of a mighty and awesome God who is so good in his faithfulness that our peace 
shields us and assists us and allows us rest and allows us a sense of well-being. This just doesn't mean that life feels good, but it means that life is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ, and that gives us peace. After all, it was Jesus who said to us, come to me and I will give you rest. Sustainable elements in our relationship. I would challenge you to begin thinking this week, maybe take them one at a time, but ask yourselves, how can I experience love in my relationships? Love like Jesus, not just an emotional high. How can I experience truth in my relationship? How can I understand the word of God and understand the unchangeable truth of God? How can I live as a person of grace, always concerned about the people around me more than I'm concerned about myself? How can I live demonstrating mercy? What breaks my heart? What brings a tear to my eyes, no matter how tough or how big I think I am, what breaks my heart? And how do I live that compassion out? And then we become a stabilizing force of peace because we understand the presence of God and his goodness. 